We're here with the 37th episode of Gear Frequency. For our new listeners, it's a weekly horror podcast where two best friends round up the latest news and review a movie or two. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. And I'm George Frazard. If you're a new listener, we'd really appreciate it if you went over on iTunes and gave us a review. It really helps out small shows. Uh, and also remember, you can always email us at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com, and we will read your message on the show. So before we get started, we have a new iTunes review from Danielle Clausen, and uh, she gave the show five stars with the title, Favorite Horror Podcast, Hands Down. She said, I love listening to Jimmy and George pick apart my favorite genre of film. We all three think very similarly about the movies they've talked about, so it's fun to say, oh my god, same, out loud. I really recommend this horror podcast. It's so fun and spooky. So thanks, Danielle. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate it. We love that you make a thread every week, too. <laughs> Give us your comments on the episode. We, we need more fans like you. This week, we're coming at you live from Camp Arcadia in California. We have some cool news stories, a segment about the last drive-in, and a review of The Endless for you guys. But before we get into that, I'm getting an incoming transmission from Haddonfield, Illinois. It sounds like our friend, Dr. Samuel Loomis, is dying again, which means we have a Halloween alert. (laughs) (laughs) He gets to die every week, just for us. That poor man. (laughs) He's in an endless loop of death. (laughs) Do you like what I did there? an endless loop all right so for the halloween alert there's a few things this week so the first thing we're going to talk about we actually missed this news but jamie lee curtis tweeted out on july 3rd that there's going to be a halloween panel in hall h which is like the big hall at san diego comic-con which means there's going to be new halloween footage she said it's totally official halloween and i will be at this year's san diego comic-con see you in hall h uh blumhouse is also bringing glass there too but whatever so jamie lee curtis is coming there's definitely going to be some new footage which hopefully means a new trailer for us yeah i mean logically you'd think that that's what they'd be bringing to comic-con would be a you know fresh trailer so it's about time like june it's july which means the movie's out in two and a half three months ish yeah like now feels like the time to get the second the, the full trailer like the full trailer that isn't a teaser trailer yeah i mean that teaser was pretty good but um yeah like that was definitely a teaser trailer yeah like you know that they have more that they want to show before it comes out for better or for worse so hopefully it doesn't spoil too much since uh i mean you you especially are are basically formulating the entire plot of the movie from just the teaser trailer but <laughs> yeah i already know yeah <laughs> I'm trying to get whatever they show early. I feel like I've earned it Earned it at this point. <laughs> EW released a full-body promo shot of Dad Bod Michael. <laughs> so, that, like, it makes me think that it's, you know, uh, fucking Nick Castle in the costume at that point rather than James Jude Courtney because they both have very different physiques. Right. Uh, but it's a cool shot. It's, like, him with his butcher knife, as everyone on YouTube tells me. It is not a steak knife. <laughs> Uh, the coveralls look good. I think it's just a little too well lit, you know, like it, it looks a little too staged in my opinion, but it's cool to see him in top to bottom costume. Yeah. It almost looks like a promo shot for like a party city, Michael Myers costume or something. Yeah, totally. But it's like, they use way too good of a camera. That's why it's like a promo shot from the set photographer. Um, but it, it does look good. Um, the mask still looks great. I'm really happy with how that looks. Uh, you know, the hair is kind of goofy on. I mean, the hair, shot. the hair is kind of weird. It's almost like a faux hawk. Yeah, it's it's just <laughs> matted weird. And so a huge argument broke out in the video I made about this, uh-huh. where people are like going back and forth. They're like, "No, you fucking idiot! It's James Jude Courtney. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Nick Castle's only gonna be in five percent of the movie. It's like, yeah, this is a promo shot." And also, if you take pictures of people from a low angle, they look taller. <laughs> so it's like, I definitely think it's Nick Castle, but I asked Ryan Turek on Twitter, who's one of the producers on Halloween, if he knows who it is, and he just said yes. So <laughs> Doesn't want to give anything away. <laughs> Pretty tight-lipped. I don't understand why, because like, this isn't a screen grab from the movie, but whatever. When I'm at Midsummer Scream, I'm going to ask him to his face <laughs> who it was, and he better be ready for it. Uh, but there were a couple like weird short interview blurbs with Jamie Lee Curtis and David Gordon Green. And the Jamie Lee Curtis one is like kind of antagonistic about the getting rid of the movies past two. So we're not going to read that. But uh, they revealed why Michael is even on the bus that he escapes from. Uh, 
David Gordon Green said, in the film, we discover that masked... Oh, no. EW asked David Gordon Green, in the film, we discover that masked killer Michael Myers is about to be transferred from a psychiatric institution to a maximum security prison. And David Gordon Green said, well, shit hits the fan one way or the other. But, like... EW obviously found out something that hadn't been revealed yet because it hadn't been revealed that they were trying to transfer him to a maximum security prison yet. Right, like that wasn't in the teaser trailer, so that's no. <laughs> and it's like I've read every like every single interview related to this fucking movie, and that has never been brought up by anyone. Yeah. So <laughs> someone told EW, and then they accidentally regurgitated it in the question. I love. I wish they had a transcript. Or, like, had the audio. Because you can tell even by, like, his response that they caught him off guard. <laughs> right. He's just like, oh, yeah, I guess. Like, something's happening. <laughs> yeah, and Jamie Lee Curtis's thing was a little antagonistic. But David Gordon Green actually had a really nice thing to say to people who were upset, maybe, about getting rid of Halloween 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, Resurrection, and H20. He said, this film isn't one to narratively recognize any of the films other than the original Halloween but we very much enjoyed the other films, and there's a lot of very subtle shout-outs to a number of things that I think big fans, the people who know the film scientifically, will get a kick out of, hopefully. So, that's good. Like, that's a really nice thing to say. We already saw a reference to Halloween 3 in the trailer. There's, like, a very quick frame of the Halloween 3 silver shamrock masks, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And that's that's about all you really need, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, um, we've said this before, but... It just makes more sense narratively to pick it up from the first one than it would be to try to match the mythology at this point after it's been so yeah. muddied, uh, you know, throughout the years. It's just easier to go back and pick it up from where it was most simple and take it from there rather than having to jump through all these hoops with all this, like, muddied up Michael Myers mythology that's out now. Garbage. Like, I really like two, three, four, five. Two, four, five, or the Michael Myers ones. The mythology stuff, like, is kind of cool. Even the Cult of Thorn idea is cool. They just fucked up a lot of the execution. So I'm all for them getting rid of bad movies. And, like, Halloween 2 is a good movie, but the plot isn't very good. Halloween 4 and 5 are bad movies that have, like, okay plot ideas. Yeah. Halloween 6 just go away. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, um, th- there are some interesting ideas in there, but... At the same time, to try to pick it up after all this stuff, I mean, even to try to do anything after six is kind of impossible just because it's, you know, there's so many, like, bad, (laughs) bad executed things, stupid ideas. Uh, I mean, the whole, like, thorn tattoo on Michael that you can stop him with a bunch of rocks and stuff, like... Yeah, that's so dumb. Like, there's just a bunch of really not well-thought ideas in that one that yeah really take down michael myers to make him much less intimidating than he was in the first movie so but anyways uh before we get into the news i thought it'd be cool if we talked about uh joe bob briggs last drive-in which aired on shutter on friday from 6 p.m pacific time all the way until like 6 p.m ish pacific time the next day it was like a 24-hour marathon if you don't know joe bob briggs he started out in print uh, way back, and he wrote movie reviews, but he came up with this character named Joe Bob Briggs. And Joe Bob Briggs is like a redneck who goes to the drive-in, and he likes uh, grindhouse movies. He, he likes going to grindhouse movies, appreciating what they aim to do, and reviews them for what they are rather than, you know, as, like film snobbiness you know right so he's had a bunch of shows over the years he's gotten some canceled he's gotten fired from different newspapers mostly because his humor is pretty like uh it's he he's like rednecky humor it's like texas humor it's a little bit sexist but not mean-spirited in any way and his real name is john irving bloom and he's just had this wild career but anyways i remember him from monster vision and shudder gave him this thing called the last drive-in which was he picked 13 movies that played, and instead of cutting into commercials, they cut to Joe Bob Breaks. And it kind of got off to a pretty rocky start, and it never really recovered in terms of, like, technical issues. Like, did how did it work out for you? Uh, well, I tried to watch it basically right when the stream went up. Uh, so that was 
9 o'clock Eastern Time. So I had the Shutter app going on my Xbox and couldn't connect. And I think it was like at least two hours, two, three hours before people actually started to be able to get in and start watching it. So yeah, people had that makes sense. like Tourist Trap was over before people could actually get in to see like the the actual show. Yeah, so I tried to watch Tourist Trap because we had a late day at the office and I just couldn't get in. I kept trying to refresh the page and it would error out. And then I got home and I made a video and then it was like 11 or midnight or something by that point and Rabid was just starting and it had already started. So I watched Rabid and that movie was fucking awesome. I had, I'd never heard of it before. I'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. So basically Rabbit is a Cronenberg movie that takes place in Montreal and I think it's from the 70s, but it's about a girl who gets plastic surgery and then ends up with this little dick in her armpit <laughs> that sucks blood and turns people into, like, rabid zombies, basically. Uh-huh. And uh, basically what happens is she gets so many zombies into Montreal that the government enacts martial law and the <laughs> cops can just kill people on sight. And I just thought that was a crazy plot development, but Joe Bob Briggs, in one of his breaks, told me that uh, basically there were so many terrorists in montreal at one point that the government enacted martial law and that's why it was like scary to people in canada in montreal because it kind of hit close to home it was like almost a true true story yeah and i thought that was like a really cool thing so yeah speaking of joe bob they recreated his old set like perfectly the guy still looks great you know his character is just awesome i just love the overall aesthetic of it he's out there with like the super bad shirt and a bolo tie and they changed it yeah and you know i thought I watched it when I was really young, and I just I didn't really take it in. I just thought it was like a cool thing that I shouldn't be watching because it was always on at midnight on TNT Monster Vision, and I never really realized how smart the guy is. But that guy, like that guy knows so much stuff, and the way he looks at movies is really cool. Yeah, um, like you said, the way it's kind of formatted is Joe Bob comes out and he talks about a little bit of the backstory of the movie. Uh, has a drive-in totals where he talks about different uh, things like heads roll, arms roll, there's this many boobs, there's this many this, like, and he has this running total yeah. for all these things throughout the movie, and then periodically he'll cut and he'll just kind of talk about what's going on with it or the actors in the movie, you know, what was going on at that time. And just the amount of raw movie knowledge this guy has is unbelievable. I mean, he's just sitting there rambling for 10, 15 minutes on like an actor and his entire life story and it's not just like he knows that about one movie's entire imdb list he just knows so much about this stuff and you can tell that it's a real passion for him it's just it's a really cool thing to be able to watch him talk about these things you know yeah and it's like he hits the same vein that me and you always hit like when we remember we me and you had like a bigger friend group in high school and like we're still friends with some of the people but me and you have stayed better friends than we have with anyone else in our old high school friend group. But I think that's because when we would all go up and like hole in at my cottage and everything, when we'd watch these horror movies, like me and you always connected with them because we could see past the fact that maybe they were lacking in the script department or maybe they were lacking in the acting. But we could see what the director and the writer and like everyone involved are going for. And there's always just passion behind it. And he's really good at highlighting that, I think. Yeah, I just think that his commentary is super valuable. Uh, He does just such a great job of talking about these movies that are... I mean, most people would just write them off as, like, this is just grindhouse schlock. Like, there's really nothing below the surface of these. But you just hear him talk about these with such passion and just has such an encyclopedic knowledge of all this stuff. It's it's really... If you have a Shudder account... They're all up now. Uh, all thirteen movies are up with the yeah, Joe Bob commentary. It's like a season. It's like a. It's listed as a TV show on there. It's yeah. like it's listed so much better than the live thing worked. <laughs> for some reason, we've talked about this so many times. But being we've been subscribed since like 2015, right? Yeah. I want to say yeah, probably since it was that. in beta. Remember, it was like in beta when <laughs> yeah. we joined, and it's it's. I remember when it launched. They said that they were going to raise the price eventually, but it has stayed five dollars a month, and. Me and you had some great experiences with Shudder. Like, we found Leslie Vernon behind the mask. That was they a great They always movie. had... Uh, we watched The Innkeepers on there. We watched 
House of the Devil. We were so stoked they had that. Like, me and you found some great shit on there. Remember, uh, what was that movie? The Girl movie. Oh, Dead Girl. Dead Girl we found on there. So we found some great stuff through Shudder. It's always been kind of janky, but it's always worked. And it just... It sucks that they couldn't anticipate how many people would watch this Joe Bob Briggs thing. Joe Bob Briggs thing. Because logically you'd think they'd take the amount of subscribers they have add a third to it and then have enough server space or like bandwidth for that you know because like obviously people are going to sign up right before this thing just to watch because if a lot of people i didn't realize this how many people do they sign up through shutter through amazon uh-huh. but if you sign up through amazon you couldn't watch this it was only available on shutter apps and shutter like browser thing yeah and even through their app on roku which is like the best app i've used from them every time it would roll into a new movie so it would be like i was watching rabbit right uh-huh. and it had all the joe bob commentary in it and then after the credits there was a joe bob commentary and then it would roll and retrieve the next movie they played it like a tv like netflix does but mm-hmm. like it i would always have to quit the app like five or six times before it would allow me to work like the app would crash so even at like midnight one in the morning two in the morning because i stayed up till four playing octopath traveler on friday uh uh, it was still causing me problems and that like that just sucks for him because he's calling this like his last drive-in but the cool thing was you can see how genuine he is as a person and like a horror host uh someone streamed the live stream on twitch and they got their twitch account account banned yeah and then joe bob found out and tweeted like hey uh, if anyone knows the guy who got banned for Twitch, I want to send him some t-shirts because that was really cool of him to help out the, his fellow fans. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, he seems like a super genuine guy, and I think anybody should check these out, even if you have no idea, you know, what Monster Vision is. You can totally pick this up without having seen it before, uh, just because Joe Bob Briggs as a character is so endearing and just has such a great knowledge of these movies and really... You know, he's so passionate about it, it makes you passionate to watch them. And, um, yeah, it's it's so easy with Twitter to get caught up and being the like smartest film critic and acting like you're smarter than movies all the time. But watching this really brought me back and it reminded me of, you know, like when, when I started to get into horror movies for real, like being a critic of them, trying to make them myself, was when I found Cinemassacre like later on in high school. Like, I always liked scary movies, but I didn't really appreciate them until I found Monster Madness. And you can totally see, the, like, Cinemassacre, yeah. James Rolfe's yeah. inspirations on this. Like, 100%. You, you can, can see totally that. You can totally tell. You understand, like, that he definitely idolizes Joe Bob Briggs and does what he does in no small part to, you know, because of Monster Vision and, like, how he... Yeah, and these. he's done a video on it. But, yeah. like, it's just... It's so cool to see something that got me into horror connect with something this late in my life you know probably 10 years later and now it like comes full circle that was really cool um i really hope that they do this again it it just seemed like such a such a success in terms of how many people they got to come out and watch it and just like the reception to it and everything it just it, it seems like something they can't not do again and he's not that old i think he's 65 yeah, and you know, like it's not like he's about to die or anything. And and he seriously hasn't skipped a beat. He was, you know, as good as he ever was on Monster Vision, you know, on this last drive-in. So, you know, if the demand is there, which it looks like it is, that's it crash their servers immediately. Um, uh-huh. I think if if he's willing to come back, I would welcome it with open arms. Even if it was like, you know, semi-annual or an annual thing, I'd love to watch it every year. Dude, it should be yearly because you know what else I noticed today? This is kind of, this is related. I was looking to see if I'm still blocked by AMC Fear Fest on Twitter. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Their Twitter is gone. Oh, really? So, yeah, some someone has an AMC Fear Fest Twitter that has like 3,000 followers, but it is, it's not legit because I remember the other one was verified and the guy's using like the lowest res art ever and it's like he tweets out only Halloween news. So, like... There's no way, like, that's the real account. So, if, if, I don't want to, like, start any rumors or anything, but, like, if AMC Fear Fest is going away, like, imagine them Shudder doing this every year for, like, a couple years. Uh, that like, would just how be, cool would that be awesome. I'd love to watch that. 
even if it's just it's so cool yeah i mean even if they did this kind of style where they did just like a marathon of 13 movies or something i'd love that uh or if they kind of adopted the the james rolfe uh monster madness formula where they just do have joe bob do one every day for the month of october yeah. uh that would also be really cool or yeah or if shutter does like a season two thing where they just upload different movies with his commentary like they don't even need to do it as a marathon no it's crazy right like as long as they there's just so many possibilities yeah i mean like a halloween special like you there's it's just they need to get the, get them to do this yeah i would say as much as they can get joe bob briggs commentary you know locked up in their library the better the more they can do it the more i'm gonna watch yeah and i would definitely encourage people james rolf that guy we were just talking about he got to interview joe bob briggs and it is like a perfect interview because it's kind of meta. He set up the interview like Joe Bob Briggs yeah, sets up right. his set. Where, because one of the cool things that I noticed that I guess is like a staple of Joe Bob Briggs thing is that the like people behind the camera will talk to him. And if he makes them laugh at the, his jokes, he'll acknowledge them. Yeah. So that's what was going on in the Cinemassacre interview. And you could tell that James was like super stoked to be talking to him. And like, you could tell that he was talking to like one of his biggest inspirations it was really cool it was just a great interview and he was talking about things like how they'd get in trouble for like really minor things that they'd say on air and he'd be like damn he's like you he's like you guys are only coming after me on this because someone complained he's like i said something worse last week you guys didn't even notice (laughs) and like he was talking about he's told a story about how uh there was some movie that had like an incomprehensible plot and he said on air someone sent him uh like plot synopsis that actually made sense he'd give them a six pack or something and he got in trouble because you can't give away beer on cable it's just like it's awesome man i i'm so i feel so shitty that this happened before our time like hit its heyday right i would have stayed up every week to watch this and like i caught it when i was a kid but i didn't appreciate it yeah um and he even has uh there's a pretty touching uh like final segment of the after uh pieces which was the last movie that he showed uh he just kind of does a final roundup talking about uh, all the people who would always write in to him about monster vision and and how yeah, it helped was... him out and stuff it was just really touching you can tell he's a really nice genuine guy so uh i'd recommend yeah, anybody his check twitter this out. is insanely nice he retweets like anyone who's a fan of him and just like all this shit and what was the slogan for pieces it was like if you want a chainsaw massacre you don't have to come to texas <laughs> it was like i think it might have been something simpler than that it was like or it's like if you want a massacre you don't need to go to texas it was something like that yeah yeah man damn it i just want to watch it again now uh (laughs) but yeah i mean the movie selection too was like nothing to sneeze at they had some great movies deep cuts that i never would have thought to watch shutter (laughs) yeah seriously well like rabid though rabid was amazing like i want a 4k transfer of that movie (laughs) like i think you would like it because you're like really into lovecraft and I don't. Are you into body horror? I never really knew you as a body horror person. Uh, I mean, I'm not against that it. That kind of goes hand in hand, yeah, right? Right. Lovecraft and body horror. Right. But that's a good body horror movie. Uh, I really like The Fly. I think that's. Oh uh, yeah, movie. The Fly is awesome. I'm. I hope he comes back. But we got some news to get into, so we should get rolling. Yeah. So the next thing here just kind of like quietly came out of nowhere. So Netflix dropped a new Stranger Things teaser today that not only reveals. I mean, people are saying, like, we don't know if it revealed it, but at the end, they reveal that the show's coming out in summer 2019, which lines up with the fact that the show takes place in summer 1985, but it's a new commercial for a mall that's coming to, uh, fucking, uh, Hawkins, and the mall company is Starcourt, uh, and it's a great commercial, Steve makes a cameo, Yeah. but I think there's a lot of Easter eggs in it that I noticed that got me thinking about, like, what the season's gonna be about. Uh, but before I get into my theories, what what do you think of the trailer? Um, I thought it was kind of fun. Like, a- as far as a teaser goes, it, it really didn't show anything, which is it just kind of hyped up it coming out. So I appreciate that that it didn't really give too much away or yeah, um, really do anything other than kind of get you thinking about the show. And uh, I mean, really, like you said, there's only one main character, Steve. 
Um, ah, but there there wasn't. There were two main characters. Who else was in there? Robin, the new character that's being added. Oh. And she's going to be working at Scoops Ahoy with Steve, which means she's probably a new love interest for Steve since Nancy and him broke up. Right. So, getting into my theories. This is just Easter eggs I noticed. So, I noticed that the hunt for Red October was in the Walden books. Window. I at Walden books. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good comedy button reference, <laughs> which makes sense because I looked it up. That came out in 1984, which is a year before the show takes the next season takes place. Uh, they had a poster for Bruce Springsteen's "Born in the USA" at Sam Goody. Do you remember Sam Goody at Point Plaza? No, I can't say. It, it was too. there for a minute. You remember where Atlanta Bread was for a yeah, minute? Yeah, uh huh. It was in that. That they Sam Goody was there first. I used to get fucking Pokemon cards there, so that was a cool thing. Uh, obviously, so references first thing you think of dawn of the dead too easy yeah i mean that's I, pretty on the nose giant mall yeah yeah in the 80s i mean i went next to choppy mall and i was like that's still not deep enough of a cut i think this season is going to be mainly inspired by the stuff oh that'd be great because of because scoops ahoy has already been mentioned in a different interview it's a prominent thing robin starts working there with steve but robin uh, robin robin <laughs> uncovers something bad like dark and evil related to the mall and scoops ahoy uh-huh. so again the big bad guy this season is definitely going to be Starcourt industries yeah and not the government well the government might play into it but i think the big bad this season it's going to be more corporate because that is a theme they haven't really touched on at all in this show but it's a theme that plays into so many 80s movies is like corporate greed and corporations becoming too big and stuff like that so it seems like now that they've done two seasons of dummy gorgons and the upside down and all that shit like they're gonna move into like corporate sh- stuff like that but do you think that scoops ahoy maybe finds something in the upside down that they start serving as ice cream you know i hadn't thought about that at all but that would make a lot of sense if because does doesn't this seem like the stuff yeah i like, mean am i crazy I, like i i did not connect those dots at all until you just said that but that makes a lot of sense and i can totally see that being the plot for this season where you know it's like a food stuff that's kind of contaminating people and taking over the town yeah. through them eating it um because they put a pretty fine point on scoops ahoy being like a thing a, it's like a featured attraction at the mall right it's which not makes me think that Starcourt is somehow related to Scoops Ahoy as a company. Right. It's not just going to be where Steve works. It's it's going to have a bigger role to play in the, the overarching plot, for sure. Yeah, because when you have stores like The Gap, Sam Goody, you know, all these big... They had Zales. Like, all these real retail chains uh-huh. were advertised. But the one they put a fine point on, besides the state-of-the-art food court, is an ice cream store. J- like, it's got to be related to the bad guy. So I really think the stuff is going to play into this somehow. That would be so cool. And I think um, having it be, like you said, uh, based on having a corporation be the bad guy is a mm-hmm. smart way to do a third season. Because I think if, the, if we were to have another season of going into the Upside Down of fighting Demogorgons, I think that'd be getting stale at this point. I think yeah. two seasons is kind of enough, um, for now at least. I mean... Obviously, you can always revisit it, but I think if it's going to be that same formula every single season, then I don't know how long the legs are for this show. But if it's just taking these characters and it's saying, you know, Hawkins has more than just it's a portal where you can visit the Upside Down, but it's just like a place where all these evil things kind of congregate, almost like a dairy from uh, like the Stephen King universe. Yeah, which would make sense, because this show is so heavily inspired by Stephen King. Right. I think that is a way more interesting way to take the series that can keep fresh way longer than if you just keep going to the Upside Down. Yeah, and you, have you, you've seen this. We watched this stuff a million times. Yeah. That movie's amazing, and it's the perfect movie to be an inspiration for this show, where you look smart for using it as an inspiration, and you get the goodwill of big horror fans from the 80s like us. You right. Know? It's not extremely well known not chopping mall it's not dawn of the dead right it's not so well known that people are going to pick it out right away but people who are fans of the genre will know the movie and think that that's a really cool pull after they see it Uh uh-huh yeah so there's two bummers to me from this teaser number one we got to wait a whole year on top of the like almost year we've waited for uh stranger things three that sucks bummer two 
takes place in the summer. Yeah, I mean, I I prefer the fall feel of the first two seasons to right. Not not because like everything has to be fall, but this is just one of the few shows that wasn't lazy and like filmed something on Halloween in a place that doesn't have fall. So it's like uh, you know being smart, but they nailed the fall feel. So it just sucks to have something one of the very few things to nail the fall feel moving away from it. Yeah, I mean. It's not to say that they'll never come back to fall, but it sucks that, you know, we had to wait all this time for a season and it won't be uh, yeah. in the right season, I guess. <laughs> but um, so, but overall, I think that's a cool way to tease the show. Next up, we got another trailer, speaking of Stephen King. We got the full Castle Rock trailer, and we can just talk about this quick. It kind of revealed the plot a little bit more, and it is absolutely full of Easter eggs. Some of them are a little disingenuous, but some of them are, you know, tried and true legitimately cool Stephen King Easter eggs. They're doubling down on the fact that this is not, this is just inspired by Stephen King's universe and it's a totally original story, which I think is cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, a smart idea to kind of pull the more B tier stories and build a universe around the stories you can get the rights to rather than trying to get the really big ones like it. And, you know, I mean, they have Cujo, which was pretty big, but, um, so do you think Cujo's actually going to be in it? Or do you think Cujo is just a thing that happened? Because I mean, the, the main character, what's it, Henry Deaver, he pulls out like a file talking about right. and rabid it, dog. I mean, it could just be a cameo. It could just show that, you know, that he's reading the paper from back when Cujo happened. And it's just saying, yep, there sure was a rabid dog here. But uh, Was there anything more to Cujo? Or was he like an like a incarnation of it? Or is he just a rabid dog? No, Cujo is more of just a rabid dog. It was okay. just kind of... It was a story that was less, like, supernatural horror and more just kind of a, a battle against, like, the will of, like... Because mm-hmm. there's, like, that whole final sequence where the mom and the son are trapped in the car and Cujo's, like, just pounding on the window and stuff. And it's just kind of, like... Yeah. Um, it, it's just kind of more of that, like, a emotional struggle more than a supernatural one. Yeah, I just... After this trailer came out, I watched Cujo. I forgot D Wallace was in it. She's really good. Um, so here's some of the Easter eggs I noticed. Uh, someone pointed out in my YouTube video that Bill Skarsgård's character might be an incarnation of Randall Flagg. Yeah. Does that make sense I, to you? Uh, I saw a lot of people commenting that. I'm not entirely sure what story he's from, but I did see a lot of people saying that that seems... Do you, you don't... Randall Flagg is uh, the bad guy in the Dark Tower stuff. Okay. Yeah, I haven't read any Dark Tower stuff. He's like the ultimate evil, basically. So I, I don't... I haven't read a ton of... I've read most of the dark tower stuff but not enough to like i i wasn't in love with it enough to definitively state whether or not that's him mm-hmm. you know right uh we obviously see shawshank prison the kid who's bill skarsgård's character he just shows up there one day and that brings henry deaver back to castle rock uh obviously shawshank is like a huge stephen king reference um scott glenn who's stick in dead and Daredevil. uh daredevil yeah daredevil. i always mix up daredevil with Deadpool. <laughs> uh he's playing alan pangborn who shows up in the dark half and needful things he's castle rock sheriff from the 80s to the 90s which is why he's old now uh he got mentioned in gerald's game uh we have the cujo reference we already talked about sissy spacek is like a reference herself because she played carrie mm-hmm. she's playing henry deaver's adopted mom in this show so she's not playing carrie white yeah which we all kind of figured that she wasn't actually going to be Carrie. Yeah, so Juniper Hills Asylum, did that stick out to you? Um, I mean, that's where Henry Bowers gets sent in it. Yeah. But other than that, I don't think I've read uh, another story with that in there. That shows up in uh, Needful Things. Uh, I haven't read that. Some other places, I guess. I don't know. I haven't read that either. I, I have my document up for my video, so I can <laughs> tell you all the things I found. So... Molly Strand is a Stephen King character that's already been talking or talked about. So Molly Strand's actress, Melanie Linsky, is also a Stephen King reference because she was in his miniseries uh, Rose Red, which is a miniseries that Stephen King pitched to Steven Spielberg to make into a feature film. 
It was actually a remake of The Haunting, which was already a remake of The Haunting on Hill House. And the only reason they didn't make a feature film and ended up making a TV show was because a different remake of The Haunting had come out in 1999. That's a mess right there. <laughs> yeah, this is a really weird reference. Jane Levy's character's name is Jackie, and people think... Some guy was telling me that her last name is Torrance, but that's just so on the nose that I don't believe it. Yeah, that's... I, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> They'd be um, really stupid. Yeah, because uh, there's just... Like, first off, I don't know if King really wants to touch The Shining, since, I mean, he had his chance to do it with that uh, made-for-TV version of it. Right, and he fucked it up. Which people really don't like, and he hates the Kubrick version, which everybody likes, so... Uh, yeah, Stephen King, every time I see a list of, like, Stephen King-approved films, it's like, you know it's going to be shit because his taste is so bad in movies. <laughs> have you ever read those he likes some bad stuff dude yeah i mean uh i i follow him on twitter so usually i'll see what his commentary is on like the latest horror stuff but he seems to be overall pretty uh pretty positive on a lot of them yeah last thing i liked that he recommended was autopsy of jane doe but that's that's the full cast rock trailer i'm excited to watch that it comes out in a week yeah. 10 days yep i think so that's cool yeah, I think it's cool. It's a definitely a cool idea. Um, I'm still, I'm not uh, running through the Stephen King books like like I once was, but I just finished eleven twenty two sixty three, and I doubt that'll have any kind of connection with this show at all. But yeah, um, it's interesting to see someone with such a huge library of books get this kind of show. Right, and he he apparently loved it so. Again, I just said his film tasted shit, but if the creator, <laughs> I don't know, I don't even want to say if the creator likes it, it's probably good, because he likes the really bad Shining TV shows. Right. Um, <laughs> it might be good. Who knows? We'll find out in a week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this next one I'm really excited about, RoboCop is coming back, which immediately kind of makes you go, eee, why? Uh, but because of that remake they did, that was pretty bad. But it's all good news from there. Neil Blomkamp is directing, so... That's the guy who made Elysium, District 9, all the Oath Studios things, which are all great. That's good. He's directing. We're, we're all, I'm on board with that. Are you on board with that? Love that. Love District 9. Yeah. So, next good thing. Basically, after RoboCop, the original came out, the writers, Ed Newmeyer and Michael Miner, wrote a spec script. Like, they wrote a script treatment for a sequel that ended up not being used because of a writer's strike. Uh, and then they all went on to work, like, Paul Verhoeven and... Uh, and Newmeyer went on to work on Starship Troopers and some other stuff. So their career ended up fine. But the spec script just sat around. They had Frank Miller, the comic writer, write a, a new sequel that is just totally different. And uh, so that's that was the real RoboCop 2. RoboCop 2, pretty okay. Not great. They're taking that unused sequel script and using it for this movie. Because in that script, uh, they predicted that a reality star would run for president and win. So it feels like perfect timing to dig that one up. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty weird with our current state of uh, politics. Yeah, so I'm on board with this reboot, remake, sequel. It's a sequel. It's just a straight-up sequel. And then, this is really funny, they're, uh, <laughs> the, Cliff Blazinski tweeted at Neil Blomkamp and said, it better be rated R, uh, there better be satire, and there better be huge fucking exploding squibs. And Neil Blomkamp said there will be all of those things, which is everything you need in a RoboCop movie. And I just like this article that I read says that Cliffy B, it just says, in response to a tweet from a fan. It's like, yeah, a fan. You know, the guy who made Gears of War. Yeah, the guy who started Epic Games and it's <laughs> Gears yeah, of War. so that made me laugh. Um, uh, but that all sounds good. I'm excited for it. I think the first RoboCop is kind of a, an overlooked masterpiece. Um, but I think any kind of, you know, well-meaning sequel to that is a great idea. And it looks like everything yeah. coming out around this, um, all sounds very good. Yeah. So I'm stoked about that, dude. I fucking love RoboCop. That movie is so great. Yeah. I mean, there's it a, takes place in Detroit. Yeah. It's really cool. That's just a great movie. Super fun. Aged really well. And I'm, I'm happy to see that it's getting the sequel it deserves. Yes. So, next on the list, we've got some bad news. Goosebumps Haunted Halloween trailer finally came out. It's not great. It looks bad. Yeah, not not too good. 
Um, the first bad sign happens before the trailer even starts when you see Sony Animation get credit. <laughs> Why the fuck are you giving credit to an animation company on a live-action movie? Well, it looks like there's going to be a lot of lot of special effects in this one. So Yeah. Um, I, I'll say the two things that I thought looked okay in the trailer um, were... So first off, we have uh, the actor who played Ben Hanscom. Uh, he's in this movie. And then he goes into basically the house on Niebold Street to find R.L. Stein's unused book and kind yeah, of... it's supposed to be like R.L. Stein's old house, right? Like the one yeah. from the first movie, which is ridiculous because right. that movie came out two years ago. It's like <laughs> this house aged fifty years in three days. Like, come on! <laughs> but um, so he opens that up, and that so you know we can infer that that's how how the plot gets started. Um, so that set looked pretty good, um, other than the fact that it is unrealistic that the house would age 50 years in three days. Uh, I think that the set actually looked kind of cool, looked old and kind of, uh, weathered. And also, I like the idea of Slappy going into, like, a spirit Halloween or, you know, like a Halloween party store and bringing everything in there to life. I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, yes and they got that kid from it that's the other good thing i noticed so but the animation does look great there's no jack black who was pretty great in the first one no dylan minette who's also pretty great yeah so it's it's a mixed bag mostly bad um (laughs) uh i just i don't know it just seems like it seems like they took out all the charm that made the first movie good yeah, it's it definitely feels like more of a cash in. Like, I think the first one probably made a lot of money, so they're like, "Well, we'll make a sequel to it because it'll also make." Yeah, money. this whole thing from the beginning, from when they announced it, it felt like, "Well, we should probably make a sequel to that." Like, right, like it, it feels like an obligation more than yeah, like that they want to do it because the first one did well and you know they liked it because it was kind of a fun family horror movie that was you know harkened back to the old goosebumps books and tv show but um you know uh, this is what we get for the sequel uh it's not not the best but uh what are you gonna do yeah so we're gonna skip ahead a little bit rob zombie showed off his trailer from three for hell uh on his tour with marilyn manson he's on right now lo and behold the, he's not even trying to be clever it just looks dumb it's like, it just shows that they didn't die at the end of The Devil's Rejects, which is impossible. There's no way any of them could have lived through that. And then they're back. And then, I feel like that's it, right? That's all it showed. Yep. I mean, it's just showing, hey, lazy writing. Hello. They're not dead. I mean, that was basically the, the gist of the whole trailer, is that... And that, that freeze frame thing we fucking hated. Hate, hate from Devil's is Rejects. Is in the new teaser. It's, like, so geared against us. Yeah, but the people in the audience were eating it up, so... Yeah, I love how it shows footage from Devil's Rejects, mostly. That's the cool part. (laughs) I mean, like, like it is a teaser, but you'd expect to at least see some footage of the new movie in (laughs) it. It'd be like if Halloween's teaser just used footage from Halloween 1. Right, I mean, it's... (laughs) It doesn't give me any confidence in the movie at all. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, dude. And it's so disingenuous to show it to a bunch of people who are automatically going to freak out. Like, right. you're showing it at your own concert. It'd be like if Jared Leto showed a trailer for fucking Suicide Squad at a 30 second concert. <laughs> right. Like, you think anyone would say it was bad? Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. It's just like the most biased audience you could possibly show it to. <laughs> yeah. I bet the Marilyn Manson fans in the crowd were like, ah, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so next on here we got some good news related to the monster verse which is what universe or what legendary is calling the godzilla king kong world uh <clears throat> i don't know if we ever talked about this but mike dowtry director uh mike dowerty is how you say it i had to retroactively go into a video <laughs> and re-say his name and splice it in mike dowerty is the guy who directed trick-or-treat and krampus and he's directing the sequel to godzilla and He released an image of Godzilla shooting his atomic breath into the sky, which is a direct reference to how disappointing Godzilla's atomic breath was in the 2014 Godzilla. So, I think... There's a few reasons I think this could be good. First up, 
Kong Skull Island had a lot of great monster action, but it was very poorly written and had really bad characters, like human characters. Yeah. Godzilla, on the other hand, had way too many human stuff. Like, way too much. And the Godzilla stuff was alright. Like, it was, it was it was okay. So, Mike Dougherty is the kind of guy who can take a concept and have great human characters that interact well with the monster characters. He's proven that twice now. In Trick or Treat and uh, Krampus. You know, like, you care about the humans just as much as you care about the monsters in those movies. Which is especially impressive in Trick or Treat because it's an anthology. You're barely with any of the human characters. Yeah, um, I think that talent is obviously shown, like you said, better in Krampus because it's a it follows one story the whole way through. Um, but yeah. I think that movie did a great job of balancing both, not only like the physicality and the like how intimidating Krampus was as a, a monster, <clears throat> but having these moments where you build up the family and you understand what they're going through and you know the lesson that they learn by the end of it and all that. Um, yeah, and and it was a good balance of the two, where you get this, you get this terrifying scenes of this monster that looks and acts so cool, and it just moves around so interestingly, and then you also get these human characters. So if they can do that same kind of idea, but on a larger scale, obviously, because it'll be Godzilla, um, that will make for a sequel that will undoubtedly be better than the 2014 Godzilla. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what's her name? Vera Farmiga is in this movie is Dr. Emma Russell. She's like one of my favorite actresses, so I'm down with that. But the whole plot device with her is that she's she works for Monarch, and she's figured out a way to talk to the monsters, which means that she can use them as Pokemon. That's what I'm deciding. <laughs> and the bad guys are going to be another group corporation thing that kidnap her and Eleven, who's her daughter in this movie, and they're going to try and force her to use the monsters as weapons. That almost seems like a less Jurassic World. Not not like Jurassic World, but like a less um I guess like intricate version of uh Arrival where th- yeah. the whole movie was about how to communicate with like these otherworldly beings. Um so maybe there'll be some elements of that in there where you know trying to figure out a way to communicate with it. Um, I bet it'll be kind of more surface level than that, since the whole movie of Arrival was about communicating instead of uh, yeah. This which I think, will probably be more about fighting, but I think Godzilla is going to go through like a rogues gallery where he's going to fight Mothra, he's going to fight Rodan, and uh, some, there's another one. There's like a third one he's going to fight, but then he's going to have to team up with Mothra and Rodan to fight King Ghidorah. That'd be cool. I mean, I'd be down for that. Because King Ghidorah is in this, for sure, they've said. And so is Rodan, and so is Mothra. And Well, wasn't Mothra in the 2014 one? I don't remember. I don't I don't know. I, I remember the monsters in that being just, like, vaguely bats. Yeah. I, I could be wrong, that but I thought, I thought so Mothra was supposed dude. to be, like, the big baddie in the end of the 2014 one. I forget. Yeah, I haven't watched it. In I thought a it was while. like a nondescript monster. Yeah, I don't you even you could be right. I haven't that. seen it in a while, but um. But regardless, I think since the movie's called King of the Monsters, he's gonna fight King Ghidorah to take the crown, and that's the like metaphor they're gonna go for and act like it's clever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know that there's already a movie called Godzilla King of the Monsters too. Right. But I feel like they're just using the title for a nostalgia factor. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a cool idea, and uh, Dowdy yeah. is a great director. To He's one of the better Much... people I could think of to direct <laughs> yeah. this, so uh, I'm excited I for it. I hope he kills it. Yeah. And then after this, we get Adam Wingard's Kong vs. Godzilla. Which, so. which would be sweet. Yeah. And then speaking of uh, Kong Skull Island, Jordan Vite Roberts is directing a Metal Gear movie, which visually I'm excited for, because he did great like stuff with the visuals in Kong Skull Island, but I did a little digging, and it turns out that it's written by Derek Connolly. If you don't know that name, Derek Connolly wrote Kong Skull Island, and he wrote Jurassic World. And what are the two... What's the one big problem with both of those movies, George? Uh, it is the dialogue. So, what's one of the key factors of the Metal Gear franchise, uh, which we are both experts in? Uh, it is the dialogue and the exposition. <laughs> Yeah, so I was really stoked for this movie, and when I re- when I was like looking up Derek Connolly so we could sound smart on the show, 
to put little info about him in the doc, mm-hmm. I read the movies he's written and I my heart sank. <laughs> like nothing against him, but like Metal Gear is just not for him. I don't think. I mean, like I hope he proves me wrong, obviously, because I want the Metal Gear movie to be good. Because Jordan Boy Roberts is a huge fucking fan of Metal Gear, and all the concept art he released is perfect. Like, there's nothing wrong with the concept art. Like, he's spot on. He's like, it's going to be about our relationship to machines and mechs, and he's going to have geckos, and he's going to have, like, everything important to have in a Metal Gear movie. That's great. But the guy who's writing the screenplay is one of the worst dialogue writers I've ever watched a script come to life from. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, the thing with Metal Gear is, like, as great of a series as it is, I mean, the plot is so complicated that like a lot of times it doesn't even make sense until you like think about things deeper and go back and read stuff about what they're actually talking about so it seems like the actual um source material is almost too dense for even someone who is very familiar with the mythology of it all and is you know knows how to like write for it that i don't know if anybody who just like comes up and has written a few things before could even tackle this in an effective way yeah yeah he wrote this this is his his like chronology of films safety not guaranteed which is how jordan white roberts got discovered jurassic world monster trucks kong skull island pacific rim uprising jurassic world fallen kingdom biggest criticism on virtually every one of those movies <laughs> except safety not guaranteed is the writing and the dialogue. Yeah. So that is not the guy to be writing a Metal Gear script. I 100% agree. That's... From my surface level, no knowledge of how the industry works <laughs> standpoint, that's how I'm thinking on this. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of worrisome because it's a series where that's so important to understand anything yeah. that's going on. Um, like, Metal Gear 4 has basically got a movie in it. Yeah. And, I mean, there's so much exposition, characters, you know, talking. There's big, long monologues about, like, what makes the government and what makes a soldier a hero and all this stuff. Like, there's so many of these huge, like, talking pieces in this in that series that uh, to give that over to someone whose main issue is dialogue, it doesn't put me at ease at all about this movie. <laughs> Yeah, like, the only reason John C. Riley's character was memorable in Kong's Island is because of the physical comedy related to him. Like, all of the stuff that makes any of those characters memorable is physical, which is all on Jordan by Roberts. Yeah, so it'll probably look very good, but not be very good. <laughs> yeah, so, Metal Gear Solid. Uh, my excitement level just from went from honestly a ten to like a five. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe they can get someone else in to help help him write it. That can kind of. Yeah, they brought him in to help Colin Trevorrow oh, on Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Yikes! <laughs> Which, to be fair, he did a better job on Fallen Kingdom writing the characters than the original Jurassic World. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's true, but. On the other hand, it was because they did a lot of improvising. You could tell. Yeah. So, and, like, those characters aren't super deep or, like, yeah. require... I'd argue that they're better than the characters in Kong Skull Island. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'd, uh, I'd say Larson they are. Like, Larson and Tom Hiddleston character. But, like, I don't but... think anybody in Jurassic World is, like, <laughs> gonna have a monologue about anything important ever. Yeah. They're not gonna be talking about the Luli Lale Lo. Yeah, exactly. Anything. Or like DARPA chief. I can't or what believe Fox I just pulled died, that out of my all this like. <laughs> yeah, Fox died. DARPA chief. Are you still DARPA chief on Steam? Oh hell yeah. Okay, that's awesome. All right, that's that's gonna close up the book on uh, our news segment this week. We're gonna take a quick break where you'll get to hear an ad for my friend Alex's uh, new Victor Crowley VHS release, and we'll be right back with our review of the Endless. Victor Crowley has slashed its way onto VHS. BrokarFan.com presents the fourth installment in the Hatchet franchise on nostalgic, fully functional VHS tape approved by writer-director Adam Green. Victor Crowley on VHS is limited to 500 units with three cover variants to choose from. 
Get your copy now at WitterEntertainment.com. That's W-I-T-T-E-R Entertainment.com. Okay, so for segment two, we are going to review uh, The Endless. It is directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Uh, and it's also written by Justin Benson. And so originally when we were talking about this movie, we said that we were going to do like a full spoiler review, but this episode's already pretty long. So um, the thing about this movie is if you go into a spoiler discussion, it's going to take a long time because this movie has so many moving parts. There's a lot of working cogs in the machine that get this whole plot rolling. But I think that it is definitely a story worth watching at least twice because you might need to watch it a second time to understand everything that's going on um but jimmy what do you think of it so this is a tried and true 10 out of 10 for me like i i think it's as close to perfect as it gets i as far as horror movies go i think that the horror sci-fi yeah i think it's so unique plot wise um just like a general synopsis is uh, these two brothers left a cult that they called a UFO death, death cult when they left. And so they... Le- yeah, they also told the news that they all had no dicks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which may or may not have been true. They really wanted to villainize the cult, so they, they said that they had no dicks. <laughs> and uh, um, they end up... One of the brothers who kind of uh, led the other one into leaving the cult um, is like the leader of the two brothers and one day they receive a tape from the cult saying that they've all ascended so the older brother is like oh looks like they finally did it they all killed themselves like they're all gonna kill themselves (laughs) and then the younger brother who never really wanted to leave and kind of liked it there thinks that they should go back and kind of see what's going on there did everybody kill themselves you know what's the situation at the cult and so that's just a really interesting premise of itself I, i you and i have both said that we really like cult movies and yeah. I think this one is one of the better ones for sure. So the two highlights for me are the fact that, A, you can figure this movie out. Like, it never gets nebulous. Like, it gets confusing, and you have to think, but you can figure it out, and you're right. And the directors, uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, they've said in multiple interviews, they're like, it's all there. They're like, we're not hiding things from you. It's all there. Second thing I like is that these guys have taken this, these tiny budgets... And they've created their own cinematic universe about a Lovecraftian being. So they've done this movie called Resolution, which I haven't seen yet. I'm going to watch. But the two main characters from Resolution show up in this movie. And I feel like I would have loved them even more. And I already like them. I like their addition. But it honestly felt like when I was watching it. I was like, these guys are important, but I don't know why. And then I read that they were in this movie Resolution. They also have another movie called Spring, which is somehow like... It's kind of adjacent rather than being a linear uh, tie-in. Yeah, it's not as interconnected as um, the first movie is to this one. I mean, it's not really a direct sequel, but the characters are in this one as well. Technically, my only two gripes are there's a part where a house gets lit on fire and it's digital fire. Yeah, I was going to say that that CGI doesn't look great, but you have to... You know, think that they're working on a pretty yeah. small budget. Yeah, yeah. And all the other effects are pretty great. So I'm not knocking the movie. I'm just pointing it yeah, out. Yeah. Just so people know. And there's a there's another CGI part towards the end of the movie where the being manifests itself and it just looks pretty terrible. But other than that, they killed it with the small budget they had. This movie's really well written. It feeds you the plot at the perfect pace. Like the pacing is great, never drags. Even though it's a kind of a slow movie, the mystery unravels at the perfect pace and you guys know like pacing is my big thing right this movie i think is perfectly paced <laughs> yeah um like if i had an award to give like a trophy for pacing <laughs> this it would be on this movie's mantle yeah uh this movie definitely has a lot of uh it, it does get a little complex like you said where they have all these moving parts going on in this area uh mm-hmm. you know physically location wise they have all these I don't really want to spoil it, but there's a lot of a lot of moving parts, as I said earlier. And um, but one thing that isn't really a spoiler that I really like is the Lovecraftian element of it. Uh-huh. It is this could have been an H.P. Lovecraft story without a doubt. You know, it's all these people that are praying to this being, and there's a prophecy about when the three moons rise in the sky at <laughs> yeah. night. And, like, all this crazy stuff. I mean, it's just, it's so, like, deeply, you know, uh, 
high strangeness that it's awesome. Like, it's just so interesting to see a cult movie incorporate these, like, really, like, old, old God Lovecraft-style uh, powers and, you know, like, prophecies in them. And I just thought that was so cool, personally, because I'm a big Lovecraft fan. Yeah, and looking into the plot of Resolution, it's so cool that the ambiguous nature of Resolution's plot becomes the main crux of this movie. So in watching both movies, from what I can tell, you not only figure out what happened in Resolution that you may have been confused about, but then you also can figure out this movie. Whereas, like, what I mean by that is, like, with Annihilation, you can watch that movie five times, and there's a hard ceiling on how much you'll ever figure out about it. Like, I don't think there is really a story at the heart of Annihilation for you to figure out. But with this, the story is there, and you know it the first time, and watching it a second time is just fun, because you're, you're like, analyzing it. It feels like a game. Like, you feel like an adventurer, you know? You're, like, taking this these clues, and you're putting them all together to figure out what exactly is going on and how the rules of this world work. Right. And there's a twist, but it feels earned. They earned the twist. They did it. Yeah, like you said, I think it's the movie is more of a puzzle where you're putting the pieces together as you go rather than something that is a big idea left ambiguous so you can kind of make your own assumptions about what it means. Is it a metaphor? You know, what is, you know, it's not like a Darren Aronofsky film where it's about kind of thinking about it uh, like, uh, what's that word? Like, amorphously, I guess. Like, not, yeah, that's, it's, that's it's it. not like straightforward but this is more of like putting the pieces together as you go and it's a full plot that's realized once you kind of get everything together yeah i completely agree with that it's just and the acting is great these guys actually feel like brothers you can tell looking at them that they're not brothers but they look just by their mannerisms and how they interact with each other they are totally believable as brothers yeah i agree i think that all the acting is really good i didn't really have any issues with anybody's performance um shitty carl is the my favorite shitty carl is great i fucking love shitty (laughs) carl he comes in hot at 11 immediately (laughs) goes out at 11 yeah Um, (laughs) i love shitty carl dude yeah uh there's just i i say this movie is definitely worth a watch it's especially if you like any of that like lovecraftian ideas and uh, kind of more abstract sci-fi horror. Um, I think this is a must-watch for sure. Yeah, I feel bad for Wellgo Entertainment because this is the second movie that's way better than it has any right to be <laughs> that they put out. They're the people who bought uh, Better Watch Out. Okay, yeah. So, like, I feel like both this and Better Watch Out are Blumhouse level in terms of, you know, turning around your budget and making a quality film. Yeah, for sure. But a percent of the people who watch Blumhouse movies probably found either of these. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I just don't know if these are on people's radar, and that's just, this is kind of a cool thing that we can do on this platform. I mean, we're not like a huge podcast or anything, but if we can even get a few people to go watch this movie, I think that'd be really cool. How did you watch it? You run it on Amazon? Uh, I rented it on YouTube. So Oh, cool. The nice. HD YouTube rental for 48 hours was like 5 bucks, 6 bucks. Yeah, I got the Blu-ray. I got a review copy of the Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray packaging is nice. It's got a really cool, like, lithograph slip slip cover mm-hmm. with all these planets and stuff on it. It's really cool. Apparently, if you get the Blu-ray for Spring and Resolution, they all kind of like fit together too. Oh, that's cool. Kinda sweet. So I highly recommend a buy on this one. It's yeah. fucking just so good. Yeah, I'm probably gonna buy the Blu-ray. It has like a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes, I think. Yeah, it's. I'm pretty sure it's in the 90s at least for uh, yeah. the Rotten Tomatoes score. So if you do watch The Endless, definitely hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Jimmy Champagne and George is at George Frizzard. Or if you want us to read your thoughts about it, which we'd love to do, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can email us at po- fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. And you totally should. We love, we'd love to have a conversation about this with you guys. Seriously. Yeah, and this is definitely a movie that can generate a lot of discussion um, just because it's so interesting and uh, has a lot of ideas going on. Yeah. So what, what would you would you rate it out of five on Letterboxd? Uh, I'd give this one a five. Yeah, me too. It's just such a hard five. It's not even close. I think it's just it's so good. You, you like 
owe it to yourself to watch this if you're a horror fan. Yeah, I mean, even, I think just for, like, the ambition of how it all works and how well it's executed is worth the 5 out of 5 review in and of itself. Because it's such an interesting kind of concept that has so much going on, and it's executed and on such a low budget that this is just a must-watch. Yeah, so... That is our review of The Endless. If you have any comments, again, find us on Twitter, Fear Frequency. I'm Jimmy Champagne. George is George Frizzard. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. We're both the same thing. And again, really help us out if you headed over to iTunes and gave us a review. I'm assuming if you're still here, you're a true fan, TM. <laughs> so if you want to give us some help, go give us a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. But... I think that's all we have for today, George. You want to bring us home? Yeah, uh, as always, come back next week for more horror news and reviews, and you never know who might be listening. <laughs>